in stories that, that have a, a long and continuous story arc, uh, a writer has to somehow find a, a beginning point, uh, a place to start. Of course, with the Bible, we have uh, one very important beginning point, the creation of everything. And we also have an end point. In Revelation, at the end of the Bible, we have a recreation of everything, a new heaven, a new earth being described there. But for the gospel writer to get into the account of Jesus' ministry sometime after his birth, I'm not sure that they quite knew how to begin. Quite what point did they have to pick it up at? Because the Gospels treat it differently. They commonly have the baptism of Jesus that we thought of a couple of weeks ago. And we have that voice from above saying, this is my son. But then what? Last week, we thought of how the writer of the fourth Gospel, John, wants to lead us into the understanding of the kingdom. And he tells us that a week after things had been happening, that Jesus was at a wedding. And we have that miracle. He tells us that Jesus' miracles are not just wonders for the people of the moment, but signs to help us on our way of understanding. So he started out, the ministry of Jesus with old containers of ritual washing water, now offering an abundance of the choicest wine. And we can see how this first miracle in the gospel is an allegory of rituals ending and freedom in the new wine of Christ coming, Jesus pouring out for many. And that's where we were last week. But we find, as we turn to Luke's gospel this week, also at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, that the timelines don't quite line up. We have to be honest about that. The writer describes the beginning of Jesus' ministry in quite a different way. And perhaps we're not supposed to look too closely at the dates, which communicate a message rather than a diary. Luke has us uh, 40 days and a bit more after the baptism. We'll come to that 40 days once we get into Lent. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll do a jump backwards to the beginning of Luke chapter 4 in a few weeks' time. But we, we've been through the wilderness and yet Jesus hasn't quite called his disciples yet. This is the beginning of his ministry, and people are just starting to hear him share his word. And the ministry, though, is in familiar surroundings, not with a miracle, but with the powerful word of the Lord. He reads scripture and teaches he reads in the place that he probably learned to read. 
as most of the boys would have gone to the synagogue to have lessons during the week. And he's in the place where the whole community would have gathered every week on the Sabbath to bring their prayers to God. The setting of the, the Nazareth synagogue gives us a sense of that continuity of those 30 years that are previous with his life to date, but also that sense of looking ahead and, and filling God's purpose, his purpose as the Messiah, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to see the law as it should be, to see God's kingdom come. And really help us to, to spend a moment thinking of what that means and, and why did the law get given in the first place? God's instructions to his people were handed down so that they would have the best life possible that they stayed healthy, that they would stay in relationship in a good way with one another, and that they would be in relationship with God. Laws, be they commandments from God or regulations from governments, are there to enable a community of people to have a safe harmony even though in doing so, they restrict individuals' actions. Speed limits are set to reduce the risk of a serious impact or the outcome of that serious impact if there's a crash. Not marrying your aunt or uncle or your brother or sister reduces the risk of genetic abnormalities in children, but also promotes certain structures and reduces potential abuses. The wearing of face coverings helps us reduce the spread of infection. This one ceases to be legally enforced in England this Thursday. But as has been stated by the health secretary, it may be a sensible precaution when we still gather with others. The laws of the land, although they might impinge on us and force us to do things that we maybe don't want to do or limit our actions, are beneficial to us collectively. And God's law, given through Moses and interpreted through the years, was given to bless the people, to help them. Not to oppress them, but to bring community. But people break the law. People break the law. It was not good for them to covet their neighbor's ox or donkey. Jealousy can lead to rage and aggression. It can lead to um, theft in the sense of coveting something that somebody has that we don't. But the people probably coveted 
just as we maybe sometimes covet. You know, when the advertisers appeal to that instinct in us, you know, and try to say, buy a new phone, or a new car, or jewellery, or a tin of baked beans. You know, they tell us this item is better than the one that you already have. You should buy it, and you should buy more of it. They promote that covetousness in our heart. That's the purpose of every advert, isn't it? And so just as we might struggle when we see a new washing powder advertised on the telly, the people struggled to follow the law. They struggled. And they needed help. They became rigid, not thriving. They failed to live in harmony. Not in harmony with one another not in harmony with God and his ways. And the sense of love had gone. But in the coming of Jesus, the law is fulfilled. The love is made new as he pays the ultimate price for our sin. challenges to think anew and live differently. But how to live? A scroll is passed to Jesus to read. And he doesn't just use the beginning of it. He doesn't say, right, what's the first line? He looks through it. He scans through it until finding the right words from what we call the 61st chapter of Isaiah. And it was initially written to people that had been freed from exile, the captivity that had taken place in Babylon. But yet people did not feel free, not in fullness. The community was not whole there were issues that affected them. People were hungry for more of what the kingdom was meant to be. Maybe people were just hungry, full stop. People needed hope. And so the prophet tells them of a year of jubilee that is like none other. Now, we often think of jubilee as being a special anniversary. Our Boys Brigade Company, this spring, reached their golden anniversary. You know, there's a big five zero that David's put up on the notice board in the, in the hall, 50 years of Boys Brigade here at Linfield. The United Reformed Church, our denomination, the Congregationalists and Presbyterians joined together also 50 years ago, come October. The Queen's Platinum Jubilee in two weeks' time, 6th of Feb, when we're having our church meeting, is the actual anniversary. But we'll celebrate it in the summer with street parties and community events, and I imagine Linfield's Village Day 
probably falls that weekend too in June. But the trumpet blast of Jubilee in the Bible is not simply a celebration of time passing. Or just saying, oh yes, it's an anniversary, a big anniversary. No, it's got more to it than that. It is a celebration of 50 years passing, but it's rejoicing in the way God wants the world to be. In God's jubilee, there is justice for all. Servants and slaves were to be released from their captivity. There's a cancellation of debt. The slate is wiped completely clean. A new beginning comes. And it's this vision of Jubilee originally given through Moses. It's in Deuteronomy that Isaiah is speaking of as a prophet and that Jesus reads of in the synagogue. In our passage, Jesus reads from Isaiah, highlighting the jubilee that will be made known in the coming of the Messiah, the fullness of the kingdom. Good news for the poor. Good news for the oppressed. Good news for the folk who cannot see. Good news for everyone who is struggling. Jubilee brings reversal of fortune. And the coming of the Lord, although not quoted in what we hear Jesus read, also means those who have been unjust in their actions will face their judgment. The poor are lifted high. And those who have abused their position will see their downfall. Jesus reads of God's hope. And then he returns the scroll before sitting down. And the action of sitting down is not saying, well, that's the end of it. I've done my reading. Time for somebody else now. No, it was normal for a rabbi to speak while sat down for the sermon to be preached, sat on their seat or sat on the floor, as the case would probably have been. In fact, um, 18 years ago, Emmeline and I went to um, the ordination of one of my friends from uh, college. It was the year we left college. And uh, in her first church, rather than a big wooden cross or a Bible or a preaching stool or anything like that, what they gave Viv was a bar stool because that was the way she preached. She put still in the middle of the front of the church and she would sit on it and talk in that rabbinical sense of bringing the message. Sitting down 
was a sign that Jesus was about to begin his lesson, that he was going to illuminate further what he had just read. And so all the eyes, all the ears, pay their attention to Jesus. They focus in on him. Yeah, it's just what they're reading, and they probably heard Isaiah read to them over the years, just as you probably heard this reading over the years. It'll come up again, now and again. But they look to him with great expectation. What will he say? Well, Dan will bring you next week more of what Jesus says, how the people feel and their action. But there is a line of crossover between me and him. Words that must have been astounding in the synagogue. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that must have been, in itself, a bit of a mic drop moment. You know, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. I said that. It's something that there's very little response to, other than your jaw hitting the floor. Jesus says, you know that person that you've been waiting for? For 540 years since Isaiah. Well, probably about 538 since the end of exile. But, you know, 540 years, give or take. Well, I'm that person. And you know that day you've been waiting for? That day of jubilee, that day where everything changes, that day where God's kingdom is seen to be coming. That begins now. You want jubilee? It starts with this. This is how the ministry of Jesus in Galilee begins in Luke's gospel. It is a continuation of the past, but is also the start of something new. It's a completely new thing. It comes with hope for the oppressed, fear for the oppressor, and challenges all to think, okay, so where am I in all this? If this is the new kingdom, where am I? The answer, I hope, is that in Jesus we are released from sin and should respond by helping others know God's love too. This is the time of the Lord's favor. And what do we, the disciples of Jesus, do that sees the scripture from Isaiah being fulfilled today? How are the blind, the poor, the prisoner, and the oppressed experiencing the hope that Jesus offers in our community 
and what part of that are we playing as individuals? How are we living as disciples daily? How do we have that whole life discipleship? May the Spirit of the Lord enlighten us so that we do know how to respond. Amen.